lot of copies. And, um, and so I think we need to just invest in one another to invest in others. Um, so if we can just go ahead and say, you know, I, I shouldn't wait for someone else to educate me. I need to start my own education and begin with what we have, the books we have. And let's go ahead and, and start because there'll be a rich reward for us to engage in combining literature, which we have, great controversies going out, great controversies going out. But we've got to have to combine it with medical missionary, not because for any other reason other than God what? Says so this is what we need to be doing. And who knows better than God? This is a work we do need to do. Well, let's go ahead and have a bow our head for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, the music we just heard. It was, it was beautiful. Uh, the wonderful way in which you made the animals. Uh, so unique. Each one brings a special gift and joy to our hearts. Uh, Father, we, we know that the ark was a, was a place of safety in a time of a flood. But Father, we want to be on that spiritual ark ourselves for the times that are coming. To know that we find our safety in your word and by being filled with thy spirit. And so, Father, right now we want to lay this service in your hands, asking that you would be honored and uplifted. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the dispensation of the, of the Holy Spirit, uh, there are some churches that talk about dispensationalism, that since Christ's death and resurrection, that God has dispensed with the law and brought in a time of grace. But God didn't dispense with his law. But he did say that I'm going to send the comforter. It's going to be better for you that I send the comforter, that he can now represent me to the world. And it's an especially a dispensation for our time because we're going to experience the latter what? The latter rain, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as it had never been poured out in human history. And so this indeed is a dispensation where God will dispense the Holy Spirit upon his people as we prepare to receive it. And there are conditions, is there not? For receiving it. Okay? So here's this statement here. Let's see here. So the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, we'll see that it will be absolutely necessary for us to finish the work. It's going now? Okay. Do you have to do it from back there? I can do it here? Okay. Okay, thank you. It was a technician issue. He just grabbed it and started working, right? The dispensation in which we are now living is to be, to those that ask, the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit hasn't already been dispensed. I mean, our whole Bible is a result of men being moved by the Holy Ghost. Isn't that right? Okay. Asked for his blessing. It is time we were more intense in our devotion. To us is committed the arduous but happy, glorious working of revealing Christ to those who are in darkness. For all this, the outpouring of the Spirit is essential. We should pray for it. The Lord expects us to ask Him. 
We have not been wholehearted in this work. And, you know, sometimes we talk about Christ is the vine and we are the... And we're going to talk about, but we never talk about the sap very much. Because what comes from the roots to embrace and helps the branches to grow is the sap, which is being represented by the Holy Spirit. So we do need to talk more about the Holy Spirit and receiving it. Now, I want us to just look at some of the titles for the Holy Spirit because we don't have a name like the name Jesus. But as we look at these titles, we can learn something about the Holy Spirit. First of all, it's the Holy Spirit, and in Him there is no what? Unholiness. There's no sin. There's no darkness. He is just full of light. He's just He's the Holy Spirit, and He is also the what? Spirit of truth. He will never, ever lead you to believe something that isn't true. He will only teach you truth. He's the Spirit of God. And, and you know, and this is beautiful. We'll look at this as we get into the sermon. But there's, there's a river that flows from the throne of God, meaning that all blessings come from, from God. And if He's the Spirit of God, then we need the Spirit of God so that God can reveal Himself in us. Otherwise, we can't, we can't manifest His goodness without His Spirit. So the Father sends the Holy Spirit so that we receive who He is, right? He's also the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Christ. We receive Christ through the Holy Spirit. Uh, We find that He's also the Comforter. Sometimes we talk about the Holy Spirit that He is the revealer of sin, a convictor of sin and of righteousness. And justice. But you know what he also is? He's a comforter. And he'll be more of a comforter if we ask. If you're going through some difficulties, Father, may I have the Holy Spirit today as a comforter. To experience your presence, that your spirit is in me. Because your spirit has peace in it. And joy. And right now I feel very sad. And I'm troubled. I need comfort. May I receive thy Holy Spirit. And if we ask, we shall shall receive. And so I think it's important for us to understand the various titles or names given to the Holy Spirit. He's also known as the seven spirits of God that are before the throne of God. And that doesn't mean there are seven Holy Spirits. But the number seven represents completeness. That the Holy Spirit is before the throne of God, able to represent the Father fully, completely. He's lacking nothing because He is equally divine. He's equally able to share all of who Jesus is because He's the seven, not seven Holy Spirits, but He's complete in His ministry. And sometimes you'll find the seven spirits associated with thunder and lightning in the book of Revelation which would depict not just power, but speed. Isn't that something? I mean, there is so much energy in a lightning bolt that happens faster than I can snap my fingers. But that's how quickly you can receive the Spirit of God. This is how quickly you can receive comfort and all the the gifts that come from heaven. It's like a thunderbolt that could come right into your life. Okay? Okay. Now, these are the main overreaching titles we have for the Holy Spirit, but there are others. 
He's also known as the spirit of of life. Because everything he's going to do in your life is to help you live for how long? And And even in this life, to have life more abundantly. He's not the spirit of death. He is the spirit of life. And he'll do everything in you and guide you in such a way that you'll enjoy life more and more day after day. He's also the spirit of grace. Now, some people say grace is the unmerited favor of God, which is true. But grace is the power of God. And so he's full of power. And if I want power, I must have his spirit. And if I don't have his spirit, I I don't have power. It's all proportional. Little of the spirit, little power. Much of the spirit, much power. Isn't this true? He's also the spirit of prophecy. He lets us know things that are going to happen before they happen. You know, all prophecy was inspired by God, right? To let us know. The spirit of truth, as we already talked about, he'll never teach you something that's wrong. And the spirit of holiness. And if we want to become holy in Christ, we need more of the... And the more I have of the spirit... Do you know what it said when they said, you know... We can't handle all the serving tables as the, as the apostles. We need to find seven men of good report to be deacons, seven deacons. And there's a man named Stephen who was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. But he was also said to be full of power. Stephen, of all the seven deacons, was the one most like Jesus because he had more of the Spirit. He had more of God's spirit in him. And God's spirit is love and joy and peace and holiness. Isn't this right? Wow. I believe in printing presses and I believe in radio stations. But you know why we're still here? We need more of God's spirit in us. And that's not just spirit to know more about how to defend the Sabbath, which is important but the Spirit of God as love and being merciful. That somehow we may have the truth, but not enough power. And what we need is more power, more of the Spirit. And when we have that, it's going to go. It's going to go very quickly. The Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, which we'll learn later, that the... uh... Oh, you know what I forgot to do? The seven spirits of God. Turn to me real quickly to... Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2. Now here might be another reason that the word seven is used because there are actually seven things associated with the Holy Spirit. And notice these things. Chapter 11, verse 2 of the book of Isaiah. And the Spirit of the Lord, that would be one, he's the Spirit of the Lord, shall rest upon him the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel, And might, these are all different things, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Why do we need the spirit? We need the spirit of Jesus, the Lord. We need the spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel. Why? Because if I don't have God's wisdom, then I don't know what God's doing. Right? God knows everything. He set up the world perfectly to operate in perfect purity and harmony. But if I don't have his wisdom, then I don't know how to cooperate with what he's done. 
I need the Bible to keep giving me understanding. How often? Every day. Every day. And if I get more wisdom from God and understanding, then I'll know more how to cooperate with God. You see, when people don't study their Bibles, they don't know really how to live because they're in darkness because they don't know God. They haven't acquired heavenly wisdom. But the more heavenly wisdom they have, the better decisions you're going to make, the better you're going to understand and see how God's working in your own life. We need this wisdom. The spirit of justice and judgment and the spirit of glory. Now, let's look at this. So the the Holy Spirit has names, spirit of the Lord, spirit of God, so forth. But he's also likened to oil, isn't it? It's not a name. We don't call the Holy Spirit oil, but he's likened to oil. But the wise, these would be the wise of the ten virgins, the five wise, took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So you had the parable of the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. They all had lamps, meaning what? They all had the Bible. The lamp is the Bible. But they didn't all have what? Oil. Now, if it's dark and I had a lamp without oil, what am I going to do? I'm still in darkness. Because what makes the Bible alive, what makes the Bible to give us spiritual insight is the Holy Spirit. And you can study the Bible all day long, and without the aid of the Holy Spirit, you really don't gain spiritual understanding. You may gain information. You may learn some principles. You may learn some history and some beautiful poetry. But it's life that we need. That all these things become a part of us. But as we look in the Bible, we start thinking about what are the main ways in which oil was used in the Bible. And the main way that it was used was for anointing something for a holy purpose. The priests were anointed with oil because they were set aside to work in the sanctuary. Everything in the sanctuary was anointed with oil because it was set apart for a special use. I'm wondering if the five foolish virgins loved to read their Bible but never saw themselves as being anointed for a special work, set apart. You see what I'm saying? It's important that when you think about the Holy Spirit as oil, that God has a purpose for you. He has called you to set you apart from the world for a special use in the body of Christ. This is part of the representation, of the, and we'll see part of the work of the Holy Spirit is that he gives everybody a passion for ministry, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. That's actually part of his work. Amen. And this becomes important for us. If we want to be filled more with the Spirit and get out of here and get to heaven, we need to all recognize that God has set each one of us apart to do a special work. Amen. That may be to reach certain people that nobody else in this church can reach, yes. or a special kind of work that reaches their certain kinds of people. Whatever it might be. But oil is also used for light. You know, they put it in the vessels and they set this light. But you don't take a lamp, put oil on it, light it, and then hide it under a table. And you you and I are going to receive more of the oil if we let our light shine. You want your light to shine, and the more you let it shine to give glory to, no, not me, but to, to God, you'll receive more oil. And you'll become brighter. You'll become brighter for Christ. Oil is also used for healing, wasn't it? 
And so when you receive more of the Holy Spirit, your influence on others will have a healing effect on them. The way you if you're filled more with the Spirit, you'll say things in a kinder way. Is this true? You'll be more loving and you'll be more courteous. And words spoken in the in the Spirit of Christ can heal a broken heart. You know, there's a lot of mental illness going on, and COVID didn't help. A lot more alcoholism, a lot more of a lot of things that are going on, and people need healing. And if you and I want to make the greatest amount of impact to be like filled with oil, to be healing, we need to give ourselves more and more in receiving the Holy Spirit and becoming more like Jesus. And our words, how we say our words, will begin to change, right? Okay. We don't call the Holy Spirit water, but the Bible represents him as water. We can talk about the early rain, right? Uh, we can talk about Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit there, or the latter rain, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the end of time. But God reminds us of our need for the Spirit, that oil, because 71% of the earth's surface is what? We are mostly water. What are we? We're 60 to 65% water. You have a higher percent. Your brain's more higher percent than that of water. Okay? Uh, we clean with water. We're, we cleanse with water. Right? Um, water depicts movement. You know, when we look at a stagnant pond, we say, well, that's not good water. What's living water is things that are moving. Right? And this is one of the safe things. So if you're filled with this Holy Spirit more... You're not going to be standing still. You're going to be moving forward. You're going to be accomplishing things for Christ. And remember, it's not the amount you do, but the sincerity in which you do it. You may reach one person, and that will be, in heaven's estimate, more than preaching to 100,000 people. Okay? Movement. Just allow God to move you every day with his spirit. Think of yourself as a flowing river that cleanses, helps cleanses people, right? And you want to just be that outflow of God's spirit to the human family to do good and not evil. There's enough evil in our world. What the world needs is more cleansing. What the world needs is that people have more of the, the spirit. Isn't that right? The spirit. And what's interesting is that our world, when it was originally created, was had a canopy of what? Water all the way around it, which is why we know there was a tropical environment at the poles, right? They find woolly mammoths with uh, tropical fruit in their mouth, frozen in ice, okay? Not even digested. In fact, they found tropical fruit in their mouth with the chlorophyll still in there. That's amazing. That means it didn't happen that long ago. Didn't happen 100,000 years ago. It could not have happened more than 10,000 years ago if the chlorophyll's still in there. And that's what the Bible teaches. But the Bible says at the very beginning, he creates his world, he says, as there's this canopy of water around our planet, that this world is to be filled with God's Spirit. That's how he made our world, to be filled with his Spirit, and it will be that once again, won't it? The entire earth. Okay? The Holy Spirit's also a planter. The Holy Spirit shall come upon, speaking of Mary, 
And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And so the Holy Spirit, imagine this. Jesus, the Son of God, becomes a microscopic seed. Right? Planted in Mary's womb. What a miracle. The Son of God who creates the universe is willing to become a microscopic seed planted in the womb of Mary to be born after 4,000 years of sin of this world. Amazing God. Isn't that something? But who put that seed in Mary? The Holy Spirit did. Now notice what it says here in 1 Corinthians 12. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to how many? Every man to profit with all. For to one is given or planted in him the word of wisdom. And to another understanding. To other gifts of miracles and healing and uh, knowledge and so forth. The Holy Spirit is what plants in you your passion to serve in the Lord's vineyard. And so we should pray, Lord, help me to discover the seed you put in me. There's the seed of Jesus, which is to bear the fruit of Christ's life. But if I want to profit with all, if I want to really profit in my life, not in money, but in goodness and in good works, not to earn salvation, but to give glory to God, then you want those seeds of passion for ministry to be in you. And I appreciate those who have the gift of music and you use it and you stand up here and you you bless the whole church. That's an example of taking a passion that God's given you and utilizing it for his glory. But for everyone, the Holy Spirit plants something in our hearts. Okay? Sap, we talked about earlier. Acts of the Apostles 284. Christ himself calls our attention to the growth of the vegetable world as an illustration of the agency of his spirit in sustaining spiritual life. The sap of the vine ascending from the root is diffused into the branches, sustaining growth and producing blossoms and fruit. So the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Savior pervades the soul, renews the motives and affections, and brings even the thoughts into obedience to the will of God, enabling the receiver to bear the precious fruit of holy deeds. You know, as we pray, Father, I want to be connected to Jesus. He's the vine, we're the branches. But I should also pray, Father, may the sap, the life of Jesus, flow into me from the very work of the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately, that's how I receive Christ's life. I can read it in a book. But what I ultimately need to do is receive it from the Holy Spirit to plant it in me. It's a good thing to have a devotional life and to read the life of Jesus. But as we read and we say amen, if we don't also pray and ask, Father, may the life I just read be in me, then all I did is read. Is that a fair statement? I need to think about the sap, the work of the Holy Spirit, who takes the ingredients of Jesus' life and transports that 
imparts it into me, and it can only be that through the work of the Holy Spirit, and we don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. But we have been this quarter, haven't we? Ron's preached on it. Who else preached on it? Somebody else that I know. Kent, I think, preached on it. Yeah. Here's the end goal of the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what everything the Holy Spirit is doing. This is where he wants to bring us. Revelation 18.4, which is the fourth angel. After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. Whose glory? Christ's glory. The power is not enforcing religion. But you won't convince the evangelicals of that. They think power is pressuring Congress to pass a Sunday law. That's not power, that's weakness. That's not the spirit of Christ, that's the spirit of Satan. I know it sounds a little strong. But there's a, there's a real difference. What the Holy Spirit's trying to do is to enlighten the whole world with a certain kind of power. And the power is the glory of Christ. And the glory of Christ is his, it's his character. What the world needs is a group of people who are so empowered by the Holy Spirit that they have received Jesus fully by cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit to receive Christ through that work. Not just to be able to get right answers at Sabbath school about Jesus, but to actually put on Jesus. To actually have his love and his patience and his long-suffering. And until we have who he is in us, we're still here. In fact, it's the only reason we are still here. We don't pray enough for the Spirit of God to be in us to change us because the only the thing that He's trying to teach us isn't only about which day's the Sabbath. You know, we could educate the whole world on which day's the Sabbath, and the whole world accept it. But if the whole world doesn't have the Spirit of God, we're still here. If the world doesn't have the golden rule written on their hearts, have the love of Christ, they could, the whole world could keep the Sabbath, and we're still here. Because none of us are ready for heaven yet until we have the Spirit of Christ in us. Is that a true statement? It is. It is absolutely true. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of whose character? Christ's character of love. The children of God as, as to manifest, the children of God as to manifest his glory, probably have to, in their own life and character, they are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. And I put down at the, at the bottom, inward versus outward. When we are filled with the spirit of Christ, there's an inward work taking place. And that inward work will be manifested in loving words instead of hateful words. Patience instead of impatience. Is this true? How often? All the time. To how many? When God has a people like that, we're going home. But I want you to look at something here. Versus the outward. 
in the end of time, think of the apostate Protestants are going to pass this Sunday law. Notice how everything's not inward, but outward. He, this apostate Protestants, through Satan, doeth what? Great wonders, but it deceiveth them to dwell on the earth. That's an outward thing. That's not an inward change. There's still the same fallen human flesh spirit, just in religious garb. And what they do is outward, performing false miracles to deceive people to worship a false system. And he, thus apostate Protestants, cause all to receive a mark, and that no man might buy or sell. And they receive a mark on the forehead and on the hand, and I know it's symbolic, but save he that had the mark and caused that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. You see, that's an all outward display. But no change in here like Jesus. Because if Jesus was in them, they wouldn't do this. You can't say, I'm going to kill you in the name of Jesus. That's a contradiction, friends. I'm going to raise my hand so you can't buy and sell to God's glory. That's false, friends. That's the wrong spirit. The right spirit is that you will preach the Sabbath more fully to people, even though it what? Cost you your life. Because you know truth is what sets people free. You're willing to lay down your life for the truth, and the other side's willing to take your life. Those are two different spirits, both in the name of God. But friends, we live in a world where if you, you and I don't make a conscious effort not to imbibe in the spirit of the world, we have to take charge every day and make a decision ourselves that I don't want that spirit anymore. Father, I only want your spirit. I only want to be like you. And you do this how often? Every day. Absolutely every day. You know, I was talking to someone on the phone. We were having a Bible study, and and, uh, and I said, you know, it's not really a daily thing. You know, I think when you think of sports and you think like, um, in basketball, there's four quarters. You don't just try to win the game. You try to win each quarter. Because if you don't win, if you only win one out of four quarters, you're probably not going to win the game. You are so intense that every minute, every possession counts. We have to be the same way. Every day matters. And when we pray, we should pray not just for the whole day. But ask God to keep you in the morning for the morning. And when you get to lunch, say, God, keep me, continue to keep me for the afternoon. This is what Daniel did three times a day. He took the day as parts of days. And he says, I will be victorious this morning. And you know something? If he's victorious in the morning, how's his afternoon likely going to go? But he repeats it. And he reconsecrates himself for the afternoon. Okay? Now, notice the difference between the apostate Protestants and the 144,000. Look, look at their focus. And I looked at 144,000 having their what? 
His, the Father's name, his character, written on their foreheads. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. You see, here's a group of people who aren't trying to take over politics. Here's a group of people who realize that it's, it's worthless to try to pressure Congress to pass religious law that takes away people's religious liberty. The only safe place to be is to have God's spirit, to have the Father's name, to have the Father's character. It's the only way you can be presented faultless before God. And then they go preaching. Notice what they preach. They don't preach union of church and state. They say with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Two different religious groups with two complete different spirits. Two different outcomes. And there's only one safe place to be. You worry about yourself in here. Because if you allow God to be filled with him, allow his spirit to be in you, you'll do all the things that God wants you to do. Right? And he's in control. We're not in control. Wouldn't it be scary if I was in control of this country? Let's be honest. No, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I'm announcing today my... (laughs) The thing is that... What was that? (laughs) There's only one safe place to be. To receive more of God's Spirit every day. Can we do that? you got to plan to do that. you got to take the time to do that. Is it for everybody? Equally? Absolutely. Comforter. As a teacher, the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father was sent in my name, he shall teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. I think one of the faults of us as Seventh-day Adventists is we feel like we just need to tell the world about the Sabbath. But what ultimately is the Holy Spirit trying to teach us? We do need to tell the world about the Sabbath. Don't get me wrong. But what's the Holy Spirit ultimately trying to teach us? Look at the next verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. Against such there's no law, or there's no more breaking of the law. You see, everybody in this room already believes the seventh day is the Sabbath. So God doesn't have to teach you that every day. You already know it. What is he ultimately trying to teach us every day? These things. He says, you're my Sabbath-keeping people. And I'm going to bring people in your life so you'll realize that you have to be more loving, more gentle. And you get into these situations, someone rubs you the wrong way, and you realize, Holy Spirit's still trying to teach me. The Holy Spirit didn't cause me to be angry. The Holy Spirit didn't cause me to be impatient. But he knows what's in here. He says, I'm going to bring someone in your life, and it'll be like a mirror to you. And you won't have these hallucinations about your spirituality. You will know the reality that you are like this. But there's hope because there's my spirit. And no matter how bad you are in this area, 
You can become a new creation in Christ Jesus. All you need is his spirit to be in you every day. Why do we receive wisdom through the Holy Spirit? Um, she, Mary, received wisdom to cooperate with the heavenly agencies, the development of, his, of this child, Jesus, uh, who could claim only God as his father. And I have filled him, Bezalel, with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship. We talked about this just a little earlier, that the reason we need the spirit and we need God to teach us and we need to receive this wisdom is because without God's wisdom, we really don't know what to do. Even in planning the work, if God did not give us counsel to know how to do the work, what are we going to do? We really don't know. We'd just be guessing. But did God give us a blueprint? So God gives us a blueprint, and it's really simply up to us to follow it. Right? Because God knows everything. And we know that through his spirit, his power, he'll enable us to do it exactly the way he told us to do it. Okay? More spirit, more understanding. So the disciples had been with Jesus for over three years. They heard his sermons. They heard his parables. They saw how he lived his life. But it wasn't until they were filled with the what? That they understood what he was actually saying. Notice this. It was not until after Christ's ascension to his father and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the believers that the disciples fully appreciated the Savior's character and mission. When on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples, they understood the truths that Christ had spoken in parables. The teachings that had been mysteries to them were now made clear. They heard every sermon, but without the Spirit, they only partially understood. When they were filled with the Spirit, they now, they now understood it. What's the difference? It isn't their ears. It isn't what they heard. It's how they heard it. Whether they were filled with the Spirit or not filled. You know, as a church, we've been around since 1863 and then prior. A lot of knowledge has been gained, but we're still here. Because maybe the import of what we've been hearing and reading for all these years hasn't truly, really quite hit us like God wanted us to. The message of receiving Christ's righteousness, we hear these sermons, but has it really resonated with my heart? See, that's what it needs. Help me, Father, not to be dull of hearing, but receive thy word with joy and gladness. Isn't that where we need to be? Wow. Pray for the Spirit. For But those who do not cultivate the Spirit and habit of prayers, or prayer, cannot expect to receive the golden oil, which is the Holy Spirit of goodness, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, and love. And the reason is, if I don't pray for it, if I don't ask for it, then I what? I don't receive it. And here's the problem. An impatient man cannot make himself patient. Flesh cannot change flesh. Flesh is just flesh. It's fallen. The only thing that will help me overcome my flesh is the 
is the Spirit. But if I pray for the Spirit, prayer itself is an expression of my need. It's an expression that I realize that I can't change myself. It's an expression that I believe that God can change me, isn't it? And so every day we learn to pray more fervently to receive His Spirit so that we can change. And we believe we can. Otherwise, we wouldn't pray. But maybe that's the problem. New theology has been indoctrinating the minds of many of our people with the idea that you can't change and you don't need to change. You just need to do the best you can. But friends, that's false theology. The gospel is the good news about how to live a new life, not improving the old. We can become a new creation in Christ Jesus, but it requires prayer. And if you pray for it, it's because you believe in him and you believe in the gift that he'll give you. Isn't that right? But if I don't pray, that means I don't what? I really don't believe this. Is that a fair statement? Morning by morning, as the heralds of the gospel kneel before God and renew their vows of consecration to him, he will grant them the presence of his spirit with its reviving, sanctifying power. What a statement. Every morning, we're to pray and renew our consecration to God. Father, today, to begin this day, I consecrate myself to be a son of God, to receive the fruit of the Spirit, to be loving and kind and patient. And how often do we need to do this? You renew it. If you begin the day renewing your consecration to God, the promise is that you'll receive the Holy Spirit. But what if you just get too busy and you wake up and say, oh my goodness, i got to get going. And then you just spend the day in your own power. How's that going to go? You see what I'm saying? The devil's going to try to get you to be so busy, too busy to be saved. But this is where you've got to make your priorities straight. What's more important than money and positions and prestige is the character of God in you. And you've got to make that your number one goal. And when that becomes number one, you'll have time to pray. Even if it means get up an hour, half hour earlier. You'll find the time if that's your main goal. If your car doesn't have enough oil in it, causes friction, starts wearing out the parts... What happens amongst us when we don't have enough oil of the Holy Spirit in us? <laughs> it starts causing friction. And people start talking, and people don't say things always the nicest way. Why? Not enough oil. But the more oil, the kinder, the more courteous, the more loving, the friction goes. The friendships develop. The working together develops. It takes its place of friction. Is this right? 
And this is how we present a united front to the world. A people who have no more friction. Just like in the upper room. 120 people solved all their differences. Because they had the Spirit. And without the Spirit, that would have never happened in that upper room. The Spirit plants Jesus' life in us. Notice what Jesus says in John 16, 14. He shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. It is the Spirit that makes effectual what has been wrought out by the world's Redeemer. It's by the Spirit that the heart is made pure. Through the Spirit, notice the emphasis here, through the Spirit the believer becomes a partaker of the divine nature. Christ has given us his Spirit as a divine power to overcome all hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil and to impress his own character upon his church. Because that's the goal. The goal isn't how many buildings we own. The goal is the impress of Christ's character in us, even if we didn't own a building. Right? God can use every person just in proportion as he can put his spirit into the soul temple. The work he will accept is the work that reflects his image. In giving us his spirit, God gives us himself, making himself a fountain of divine influences to give health and life to the world. And in chapter 22 of verse 1 of Revelation, it's just beautiful. There's God's throne and flowing from the throne of God, which I think is literal. There is. I don't know how that looks. A throne of God, water, a river flowing from the throne of God, representing how he is the source of what? Everything. He is the source of life. And from the throne of God flows kindness and joy and love. And we are to be but the recipients of this river that flows from the throne of God. It's real. And even though it's a real physical thing in heaven, it has a spiritual meaning as well, doesn't it? You and I cannot make up this stuff ourselves. We're simply created as a recipient. God created us in his image. But Nebuchadnezzar set up an image. The apostate Protestants will set up an image. But the image isn't after the likeness of God. It's, it's an image of their own theology and beliefs that are not filled with the Spirit of Christ. The obstacles, we're almost done here. What could be obstacles for me receiving the flow of the Spirit of God? And as I was reading, um, I think in this law of familiarity, that if I'm not used to receiving God's Spirit, then I'm more likely to continue to live a life of not receiving it. This is what I'm familiar with. If you have a, a business meeting and the church says, hmm, how much should we grow this year? Which would be... Well, let's grow at like 3%. Well, why do they say 3%? Because that's what happens every year. Familiarity. This is what we're accustomed to. Because you see, we're, we're, we're building up to the latter rain. Business can't go on as usual. We can't be trapped in the familiar things of the past, but receive more. Expect more. You want to plant more seeds, don't you? We want to see a greater harvest. 
We want to see all of us growing more in Christ, more kind deeds, more kind words. We're never content in the sense that we're never content with our own spirituality. This is where we need to be. No more familiarity. Because this is why we're still here. Something's got to change in our vision. The unwillingness maybe to give up garments, our garments of unrighteousness. Maybe certain sin in our life. We're not willing to give up. Maybe we trust too much in man. Okay? And not put more trust in God. Failure to improve our own talents. We heard that in a, in a children's story about talents. If you hide your talent, what happens? If you don't use it, you lose it, right? Not utilizing our talents or improving our talents is a way of impacting how much of the Spirit we receive. But if you say, Father, you have given me this opportunity to hand out literature or to learn medical missionary work, what should you do? Embrace it. Move forward. Doesn't matter if you're afraid. You just do it because God's asked you to do it. And you'll learn to enjoy. You'll overcome your fears. Because you see yourself making a difference. Your faith is making a difference in other people's lives. And that, I tell you, you get thirsty for that and you just want more of it. We've got to utilize our talents for God's kingdom. And then maybe a lack of knowledge. You know, there's a lot of people who don't... They go to churches never hear about the Holy Spirit. Or they never hear about Christ's righteousness can become our righteousness. They only hear that, you know, let's do the best you can, you know. The word of God, the truth, is the channel through which the Lord manifests his spirit and power. When by the Holy Spirit truths are impressed upon the heart, new conceptions are awakened and the energies hitherto dormant are aroused to cooperate with God. And so let me just close with this. I had mentioned it early in our sermon where the disciples heard all the, the parables of Jesus. And yet it didn't quite have the impact because they were still arguing who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. When we study the Bible, we know that the Bible will start turning wheels in our mind that hadn't been turned before or will open up new concepts that we hadn't thought before. But what we want to do is why we do that, we want to get rid of all the obstacles that would make that would prevent those new truths to become a reality in me. And all we have to do is pray. Father, I don't just want to know more truths. I want to know more about myself and where I'm still unlike Jesus. Father, I'm asking for you to send your spirit to show me where I do things that Jesus wouldn't do that. Because as I study your Bible, I'm enjoying the new things that I'm reading. But there seems to be something in me that keeps it from actually happening. I don't want to feel this resistance anymore in me. I want to know that as I read, I'm absorbing it and able to follow it. So, Father, there must be something in my life, right? There may be a hindrance. Now, will the Holy Spirit answer that prayer? Will he show us all our faults at once? No. But he's a perfect teacher. 
He'll show you the one you have to overcome right now. It may be the way you feel about a certain person, right? Could be a lifestyle thing, whatever it is. The issue is, friends, we are preparing for heaven. And every one of us want to be part of this latter reign. It will be the greatest privilege ever placed upon the saints of God. We all want to be part of this. That no matter what people say about us, you love them. No matter what they do to us, you love them. And you'll always share the truth in the love of Christ. This is the experience that God wants us to have. Before we have our closing prayer, our closing hymn is going to be announced here very soon. <laughs> that was my old man part. That was my old man part. Okay. All right, our closing hymn today is going to be number 600, Hold Fast Till I Come. Number 600, and if we could all stand.
Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the soon return of Jesus. To think, Father, that not long from now we could all be standing around the sea of glass. But, Father, we know there's a mighty work to be done in the world, but a work that must first begin in us. Father, help each one of us to find a time each day to be filled with the Spirit, to be able to put on Christ, to become more lovely, more kind, more gentle. And, Father, we want to thank you for the truths that you have given us and for every promise we know you will shall keep. So, Father, help us to be that waiting people, waiting upon you each day to receive and waiting for Jesus to come. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.